Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. (coughs) Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When he wrote this letter to the Philippians, Paul was in prison. We don't know where. The traditional view is that he was in prison in Rome, either for the first or for the second time. The first time, we know he was arrested in Jerusalem by the Jewish authorities, and he was charged there with profaning the temple, and he wound up in Rome because he appealed to Caesar. That is where the book of Acts leaves him. Some people think he was executed shortly afterwards. Others argue he must have been released that time and visited the places he refers to in his letters to Timothy and Titus before he was arrested again and sentenced to death under the Emperor Nero, who had it in for Christians and blamed them for starting a fire which destroyed much of the city of Rome. Others argue that Paul wrote Philippians from Caesarea, where he was detained for a while after he'd been arrested in Jerusalem that first time on his way to Rome. Others suggest he was arrested in Ephesus and spent some time in prison there. We know it all went horribly wrong for Paul, but we don't know details about it. And in Ephesus he reached his lowest point. But when he writes to the Philippians, it's a really positive letter. He's really upbeat. The joy he expresses at being in chains and the whole letter strike a really positive note. So since we don't know where or when Paul was in prison, we can only speculate as to why precisely he was there. He says in the letter he is there for the sake of the gospel. But that tells us nothing about the precise circumstances of his arrest or the charges levelled against him. After all, he had been put in prison in Philippi itself when he visited there. That had simply been for upsetting the owners of a slave girl who would make quite a lot of money for her owners, prophesying about people and telling their fortunes until Paul set her free from the spirit that possessed her. They saw their money going down the drain, so they had him arrested on charges of disturbing the peace, inciting people to disobey the law of Rome, and that was enough to get him packed off to prison for the night. Then, as now, Christians are easy targets. When people preach the gospel, draw attention to themselves, others who listen are easily polarised in their response. Some become believers themselves, others do everything in their power to stop those 
who tell people about the good news of Jesus. Paul doesn't tell us how often he was in prison, but he gives the impression it could have been loads of times. He talks about suffering countless beatings, sometimes to the point of death. He was flogged five times by the Jews, beaten with rods three times. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Being an apostle of Christ in the ancient world was not a cosy nine-to-five job. So we don't know on what grounds he was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. Many Christians today are in prison for their faith and are charged with offences that bear little or no resemblance to the reality of why they're really there. Take, for example, Muhammad Hadi Bodba, known as Mustafa. He is an Iranian convert from Islam to Christianity. He's been sentenced to ten years' imprisonment for his Christian activities. He's from Rushd. He's charged with membership of an anti-security organisation, with gathering information with the intent to commit crimes against national security. As is often the case, for those charges, you read, he's just a Christian who's trying to tell other people about Jesus. According to the Barnabas Trust, a breakdown of the charges against him in court documents that his statement in court says he'd left Islam to follow Christianity. He's involved in a house church. He worked translating and dubbing Christian films. They discovered 6,000 Gospels and other Christian resources at his home. He said at court that he considered evangelism his duty and he has distributed 12,000 pocket-sized Gospels in Iran. That's the real reason why he's in prison as with Paul, for the defence and proclamation of the good news of Jesus. 2,000 years later, he's still following in Paul's footsteps. We don't know his state of mind. We don't know whether he is as positive as Paul was, but the apostle actually seemed to relish being in prison. At least that's the, the message he sends out to the Philippians. I want you to know, he says... My being here has really served to advance the gospel. I've been able to tell the whole imperial guard about Jesus. That would never have happened if I hadn't been here. And more than that, lots of people in the church have been challenged and inspired to be more open about their faith as a result of my example. True, some of them do it from wrong motives, but Paul doesn't care. The only thing that matters to him is that Christ is proclaimed. And if that's happening He rejoices whatever else is going on in his life. And the reason why Paul was able to be so positive in such adverse circumstances was that his purpose was living for Jesus. His goal in life was to make Christ known and to share the gospel. You could tell he was a true evangelist in that respect. A true evangelist is never happy unless they're telling other people about Jesus. It is in their DNA, and it was in Paul's DNA. Why was he so devoted to sharing Jesus with others? Combination of factors, I guess. He felt called by God to do this. He had a sense that God had set him apart for this purpose from before he was born. His sense of call was so strong and powerful, he felt there was nothing else he could do with his life. Woe to me, he says, if I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm not doing it for reward, because if I did it for reward, I'd have a choice about whether I did it or not. But I've got no choice. He was under a sense of compulsion. The love of Christ compels us, he says. Because we know that Christ died for everybody. And he wanted to tell everybody about the message that Jesus had died for them. 
He himself felt indebted to Christ because of the grace and the love and the forgiveness that Christ had poured into his heart. Because before he met Christ on the Damascus Road, Paul had been a religious zealot and an intolerant bigot, single-handedly summing up all the ways in which religion can go bad if it's manipulated by people whose hearts are filled with violence rather than with love. But despite that, despite his his efforts to stamp out the gospel of Jesus, despite his persecution of the church, despite all the suffering that he inflicted on followers of Jesus, Paul knew himself to be forgiven for the wrong he'd done. Though he felt it was the last thing he deserved. And Paul found the knowledge that Christ had laid down his life for him completely mind-blowing. So it wasn't just the love of Christ for others that motivated him, it was the love of Christ for himself. He knew himself indebted to Christ in a way that he could never repay. Christ had given his life for Paul. The least Paul could do was live his life for Christ. But he knew as well that the message, the good news of Jesus, could turn people's lives around. Their past could be forgiven. Their attitude to others could be transformed. They could be put in touch with God. Christ died to give people eternal life. It was good news for the people he was talking to, as it still is today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. Anyone. Their life could be turned round and changed for the better by the good news of Jesus. Paul knew what difference that message had made to him. And he couldn't stop himself from recommending it to everybody he met because he knew it was good news for them as well. Not to do so would have been to deny the God-given love he had in his heart for them. Quite simply, Jesus and the message about Jesus had made such a profound difference to Paul that for him it was the only thing worth living for. And if he was in prison, he was going to use his time in prison to the best of his ability, to make Jesus known. So he was talking to his guards about Jesus. He was writing to the Philippians and others about Jesus. Wherever he was, if it wasn't in a place of his choosing, he was still choosing to live there for Christ. That was his purpose. So there's a question perhaps we should all ask ourselves at some point, and maybe not rest until we get a satisfactory answer. What do I live for? What's my purpose in life? What's my overriding goal? As a teenager, a turning point came in my life, reading D.H. Lawrence's Women in Love. Some of you know this already. What do you live for? It's a question put to one of the characters, Gerald Critch. He doesn't know the answer. And because he doesn't have a valid reason for living his life, successful though he is, the book ends with his death. I read the book and thought, hmm, don't want that to happen to me. What do you live for? Why are you here? What are you doing with your life? Where are you going? What's the point? Have you asked that question? Have you stopped to consider it? Or are you just like a hamster running endlessly round your wheel without ever really getting anywhere or achieving anything? Mark Twain is credited with a saying that the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. What do you live for? Paul wasn't only living all out for the gospel. He was prepared to die for it as well. 
In the Gospel of Jesus Christ, he found something more precious even than life itself. Hence his profoundly challenging saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's the difference the Christian faith can make. Without Christ, when we're faced with the prospect of death, we have everything to lose and nothing to gain. When the time comes for us today, we will leave behind everything we possess and everyone we know. But Jim Elliot was a missionary to Ecuador who was killed by Indians back in the 50s. In his diary entry on the 28th of October 1949, he'd written, He's no fool who gives what he cannot gain. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul faced the real prospect of his death and was ready for it because if Christ was all in all in life, then to be united with Christ the other side of death was something he could look forward to. This week Sue and I learned of the death of a really good friend, Peter Hicks, who was one of our lecturers in college. In her letter to us, his wife quoted these verses from Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and said our grief is mingled with joy as we now that he now worships the Saviour he loves face to face. Not just words in scripture for him, but words he lived out in practice. So an even more profound question than what do you live for is, is there anything you'd be prepared to die for? Paul had reached the point where if he was called to do it, he was prepared to lay down his life for Christ. His only desire was that Christ should be honoured in his body, either by how he lived, or if it came to that, by how he died. And he said, one way or another, I am going to be released from prison, either by walking out of here a free man, or by being released to go and be with Christ, which is far better. He was ready for either. Either be to be united with Christ in glory or to carry on Christ's work down here. He says to the Philippians, I've got a suspicion I'm going to carry on down here because there's still stuff God wants me to do and I can still be useful to you for the time being. It's a profound thing to know what you're living for. It's an even more profound thing to know if there's something you'd be prepared to die for. Sue and I used to be fans of the, the Kiefer Sutherland series, 24, before the script got a bit too silly and we gave up watching it. Kiefer Sutherland stars as Jack Bauer in the series, and series six begins with him being released after spending 20 months in a Chinese prison. He's released because a deal has been done in which his life is to be given up in exchange for valuable information. And as the government officials chain him to, to a fence and leave him to his fate, they apologise for doing it, and his answer is... All the time I was in prison, I was afraid I would die for nothing. Today, I die for something, he said. Being Jack Barrow, of course, he doesn't. But the words are profound. I was afraid I'd die for nothing. Today, I die for something. All of us need to find out what it is we're living for. In Christ, those who commit their lives to him can find something that's even worth dying for. And it's the measure of the value of Christ that this is the price that his followers are prepared to pay in countless parts of the world today. In places like Syria, Nigeria, the Central African Republic, the list goes on and on.
Rowan Williams, I think, was absolutely right to say to us Christians in the UK that persecution is not about being made to feel mildly uncomfortable. We shouldn't talk about being persecuted in this country. True persecution is systematic brutality and often murderous hostility that means that every morning you wonder if you and your children are going to live through the day. That's the reality that many people live in on a daily basis. He's right to say to people in this country who claim that we're being persecuted, for goodness sake, grow up. Let's recognise that in Christ, we have a treasure so valuable that in many other parts of the world, people are prepared to pay the ultimate price for being known as followers of Jesus. And if our faith is not that important to us, It's not because Christ doesn't matter that much. It's not that Christ isn't that important. It's because we haven't really grasped just how precious and valuable the gospel is. We haven't grasped the immense and eternal significance of saying, Jesus is Lord of my life and its outcome. What do you live for? How much does Jesus matter to you? Yes, you never understand that really until you understand just how much you matter to Jesus who gave his life for you that you might have God's peace and God's life and who calls us to live our lives for others to be upfront about our Christian identity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us to carry on the work of Paul, who lived for Jesus, who died for Jesus. Because in Jesus he found something that surpassed the value of anything else in this life or in this world. And that is God's gift to you. Treasure it. Live by it. Put it at the centre of your heart. Because he's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we search our hearts. We hear those words, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And we weigh those words against our lives and some of us can say, yes, that's true for me. Others of us really aren't sure. And yet one day we're all going to die. We can't hang on to this life. Christ is the one treasure that is ours for eternity. So here and now, Lord, take your rightful place in our hearts. Help us to live for you. so that when the time comes for us to leave this life, we can do so with expectation that we will meet you face to face. None of us knows how long we have, but help us to live our lives for you every moment until that day when we see you face to face, either because we are released 
or because you come again. Move us closer to that point where we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. We ask it in your name. Amen.